Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Voice of Adoptees, which brings together diverse and unique voices from around the world to share their stories. If you liked today's episode, remember to give us a like, subscribe, and leave a review. Here's your host, David Shunk. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to uh, another episode of Voice of Adoptees. Tonight, we are joined by a new friend of mine, Annie. Welcome to the show. It's so great to have you here, and we look forward to hearing your story. Thanks. I love that you asked me about my name and that you're calling me Annie because nobody does that, and only the people that have known me for very, very long call me that, and it's an instant way to feel close to you. So that's pretty neat. Well, I... I feel like our last 30-minute little discussion earned me that right to call you Annie. <laughs> so, Annie, tell us about who you are and what you do. Um, I am a writer, and right now I am working on a sequel. Well, actually, I came to my hometown, Westwood, Massachusetts, to help my high school gym teacher who ended up being the winningest coach in Ivy League history to write her book. And we just finished last week. I thought it was going to take about three months, but I've been here for a year and a half. And so during that time, I've also been writing a sequel to the first book I wrote, You Don't Look Adopted. And so I'm finishing up that one and then hopefully going back to California to be with my daughter. Where in uh, California? Santa Cruz. Okay. My mom grew up in Lodi. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's a beautiful place. So what's your connection to adoption? I'm adopted, and I've been... I had sort of a normal story, and then seven years ago, I, I woke up to the whole thing and wrote a book about what it felt like to be an adoptee and then everything just kind of blew apart because I couldn't go back and now I'm trying to figure out I'm 58 and I don't really want to be an adoptee anymore I feel like can I have a little bit of life where I'm earlier you had said something about you're just a human being I would like to experience just being a human being without front-loading that story with the story of what other people did to me so i'm i'm exploring how to how to do that what stage would you say you're at with that journey i would say i'm waiting for my father to die (laughs) because my mother died and then i was able to write you don't look adopted because i just felt like i couldn't really be honest as was when she, I, I love her very much and it was very confusing. And I also love my dad, but he's not well. And I'm in that same place I was with my mom where I'm really impatient for him to die. And it doesn't feel that great to have that feeling because he's also my dad. But I want, I, I can, it's almost like, in my head, everything is going in slow motion. And it's in my head, I can feel relinquishment trauma. Like I can feel, oh, okay, this is the mother leaving the baby. This is something stored in my brain. And I can feel that my father is leaving the baby. And I just want to get it over with. 
Yeah. Because it's it's touching on things in my head that I can't verbalize, you know, and and so I would like to go back to being an orphan so that I can see what is life like when I don't always put I still am in many ways a child. I think I think about my parents, I think more than a lot of people. So I think I am aware that I'm coming to the last third of my life. And I would like to, I've been, I've had a good life and I've had a lot of wonderful things happen. And I've had this line of intense anxiety that's gone through the whole thing. And I don't think that's necessarily, I don't think I have to live with that my whole life. And I would like to know what it's like to be relaxed in my body and just laying out in the hammock, watching my dog run around and not have my brain be making up stories about how I'm in trouble or how something is wrong. I have a hard time imagining the future. I have a very hard time imagining myself getting old. You know, I just feel like, um, it's 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 hard to see that but I, I would love to be the person just sitting on the chair on the front of the house just being there and really deeply being appreciative of life do you think that you were able to get to that stage eventually or do you I'm getting close I'm getting close you're getting close okay I am. I've learned. I used to be so busy. I used to just run around and just keep myself busy, busy, busy. Yeah. And I, and I don't do that anymore. And I'm not. As, I'm not afraid of my interior life. I'm not afraid of my body. Um. So I, I feel like a very different person because I'm so much more quiet inside. I think that to me that used to mean invisible, and that was scary. So I, I'm at this stage where I don't really know who I am because I'm not holding on to all these old coping mechanisms that I used to do. Do you think you got rid of them for other reasons? Like, were you actively looking for newer ways to cope and you decided that the old ones just weren't working anymore? Um, yes. And I did a therapeutic session with MDMA and psilocybin, which was incredibly helpful. It showed me a lot of the really, really intense pain I had been carrying in my body and it was too painful to even recognize. And I was able to let it go. And that was like, that was a life changer. Would you ever do that again? It's very expensive. It's like $3,000 for yeah, so I, I'm hoping, <laughs> right, and I do microdose with psilocybin, and I, I think that's wonderful. It seems I don't take, I don't take drugs. Like I'm not a drinker. I don't. I barely take aspirin. But there's something about the psilocybin that really agrees with my brain. It feels like it's rewiring it and just yeah. showing me, just showing me that how I am connected. Yeah, it almost brings you on a whole different level of understanding. I think. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not surviving. I, I am like part of the world. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. 
I like that part of the world. So yeah. you uh, you you have a blog, and mm-hmm. in June of 2023, you refer to yourself as a sponge. Mm. Would you like to elaborate on that? Sure. I don't. You know, I write stuff and then I forget what I wrote. But it's okay. you refer to as a, adoptees like sponges. So I'm curious. Yeah. So I think it's a survival. I mean, I know how to erase myself really quickly, and then just figure out what, who I need to be and what I need to do to fit in. And so I do feel like. I mean, it's, it's, it's really a boundary issue, right? right? It's, I mean, it's, um, it's easy if it's easier to not have really strong opinions and to be with other people and just kind of blend in. But what I'm, I'm learning to not do that anymore because it's, if you're a sponge, you're, you're just absorbing other people's stuff and you're not really a person i taught a class i teach classes about stuff i want to learn and so uh, joyce mcguire pavo she's a great um, adoptee therapist and so i taught a class with her on boundaries and it was really it's really interesting to hear other adoptees like talk about boundaries and see how much they struggle with them yeah and it was helpful just to realize like Boundaries are really helpful. They don't keep people out in a bad way. They keep people out in a really good way. Yeah. With those boundaries, how do you go about deciding what you let in and what Mm. you keep out? It's a great question. You know, COVID was a funny time, right? It was like, so there was this opportunity to pull away from society. And that was both very lonely and also like really helpful just a a reset and now i i have this wild living i just sometimes i'm so amazed at what life does and i'm living less than a mile from where i grew up in the house of my mom's close friend um next to the woods that i loved as a child and i have my mom's friend who just feels so healthy and so safe and I have my dog and I have the woods yeah. and I have my writing projects and I don't have a big community of people here. But what I do have is I have an environment that feels safe because I grew up here. And so I think I'm learning. It's like I'm going back and being a little kid. Yeah. Only this time I, I am doing it intentionally. And so I'm learning I am here <laughs> in this place and I have the right to exist here. I, yeah. I I get to find out who I am. I mean, it's very strange to be like a six-year-old when you're 58, but it's also pretty neat. It's also very, very simple. You know, it's just walking in the woods with my dog and doing my, doing my work. And it's all those memories coming back and feeling relaxed because you get a sense of, I guess, normalcy or just revisiting parts where you felt comfortable of who you were. And, it, you know, people like to hold on to that for sure. Well, and when I was here, I felt comfortable and uncomfortable at the same time because there was that underlying, you know, like family life is a little weird often when you're adopted. And so there's all this stuff under the rug that no one's talking about. Right. And so then I get to be here and kind of bring every, everything's coming together. 
Right. Yeah. Then you get to draw your own conclusions. Yeah. My body gets to experience what's it like to be here when you're entirely yourself, like you're not just the child of these two people who love you and who adopted you, but you also have a bigger story and incorporating all. Right. Yeah, I get that. That makes sense. In the summer of your book, you don't look adopted, right? Mm -hmm. You state, as a child, I traded safety for silence. Can you explain that to our listeners? Oh, sure. I think when you're a kid and when you don't feel safe, you don't even really know what that means. I I mean, one example is when I was a kid, I had a really hard time returning books to the library. And so I had all these books in my closet that were overdue. And I used to want to kill myself because I didn't know what to do with all these overdue books. Like, you know, in my mind, it was going to be so much money. And I didn't know how to deal with that kind of problem. Yeah. And instead of saying to my parents, I have a bunch of overdue books in my closet. You know, can you help me? I just was quiet and then by some miracle the library had a free book day but but i think it's this you know that the silence is trying not to make waves like just trying not knowing it's okay to ask for help because if you think you're the problem you can't ask help about yourself you know it's like if i was an entirely rotten apple i couldn't ask you to cut the rot out because my whole self is rot. <laughs> yeah. Right. You need a new apple at that point. Yeah, I need a new uh, yeah, I needed a new apple, right? And that's that's what I'm doing here now and becoming the new apple. <laughs> that's a funny way to put it, but I like it. Yeah, it feels like it. When did you know it was the right time to start writing and share your story? When things in my life just weren't I had been trying to do it for so long. My whole life, I felt like that was what I was supposed to do, but I couldn't do it. And then just everything kept falling apart. I just, and then I met the woman who wrote the book, The Help, and she offered me her New York apartment. And it just felt like, okay, the universe just opened a big door. I'm going to jump in and do it. I'm so glad I did. It's the best thing I ever did in my whole life. That's that's amazing. Yeah. How'd you come up with the uh, title? A friend that I went to high school with, I met her for coffee. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd never talked about being adopted before. You know how it's in, like, you just don't talk about it when you're younger. But she told me she went to the doctor's office and the nurse asked her for her health history. And she said she was adopted. And the nurse said, you don't look adopted. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, that's the title. I want that title. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. Wow. So <laughs> did you have an agreement with your friend to collect any of the royalties? <laughs> yeah, no, she just gave it to me. Wow. Yeah. I went bankrupt writing that book. That book, I, I didn't, So, speaking of royalties, I, I mean, what that book cost me versus what it, someone asked me a while ago if I would help him with his book because he wanted to make some money and I, and I wanted to tell him. If you want to make money, right? You know, maybe you could just get a job. (laughs) 
it was so much more expensive writing that book than yeah um yeah <laughs> okay yep so through this whole experience what are some things you learned about yourself uh that you didn't know before you started writing the story you know on paper it's such a good question I think I'm still figuring that one out. I still, I think I still haven't found the permission slip that says it's okay to be you. And that I'm still, I'm still swimming out of the gutter, mm-hmm. like trying to step onto the land and say, okay, here, this is me, and then feel safe enough to see I still don't feel this is why I talk about wanting my dad to die I just I don't know why but that once I'm myself I feel like I somehow I lose my parents because they didn't accept me they oh gosh this is hard this is the part that's so hard to talk about because the words don't really work it's like you know, you have this life as an adoptee that's one life, and then you have your other life that's your life when you're not an adoptee, but you're living both at the same time. And the people who love you love you because you're an adoptee. But that's not even always true. Like, often they love both of you. You just, made, I've made stories in my head that they don't. Yeah. Right? And so I have confusion, and I think that, I think what I'm, the best answer I can give to your really good question is that I'm learning that I'm a human being like I'm not an alien I'm not I'm not bad I'm just a person and I think I also thought I had to be great like I had to do something great I had to become a butterfly I had to be beautiful and I'm finding like it's okay just to be middle of the road in everything like you know kind of chubby kind of messy kind of half a failure like it, not not great human it's okay to be just human human yeah at the end of the day we all are human so yeah in some ways it's but somehow that didn't seem like enough ever you know it was like it wasn't enough to be born a human I you know there was like oh gosh I have to find the special card so I could break out of this and know that I'll always be kept and loved but it's such a relief to just be sloppy. At any point of your life, did you feel like you used the adoptee card to justify some of your action? Yes. That's why I'm so glad. That's a big reason why I wanted to work with a Harvard basketball coach, because I wanted to get tougher. I didn't want to collapse into I'm overwhelmed this is too much for me I can't do this mm-hmm. I I don't like that about myself and so now I'm tougher there you go in your book you talk about adoptees and trusting themselves mm-hmm. how can you tell them to trust themselves I think it's helpful to have so one thing I'm learning from the Harvard coach is So if you're playing basketball for Harvard basketball, you want to win. Right. So if you want to win, 
you're going to construct your life in such a way so that you're strong enough to win. So if you're going to do things that mess you up, you're not going to trust yourself and then you're not going to probably not going to win. And so I think I have learned that the most helpful thing I can do for myself is to have really clear goals about what I would like to get in life. And for some reason, that was really hard when my parents were alive because it felt like my goals weren't goals that were in line with their goals for me. And it's really fun to, to try to win, try to win. Like I'm really competitive. It's really, but I'm doing it for myself now instead of trying to do it for other people and to impress other people. Right. Now that you mentioned that, do you think a lot of adoptees do certain, you know, maybe it's get certain jobs or go to school because they feel obligated to kind of return the favor to their adoptive parents. Do you think that adoptees feel a sense of, you know, like you did this for us, now we have to return the favor? I think that the majority either do that or they go the failure route. Like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to do what you want, but I'm not going to do what I want either because I'm not going to figure that out. And what really interests me is okay, what's the middle ground, you know, where you, in a perfect world, the adoptive parents would help the adoptee identify their own North Star and help them listen to their own inner calling. I like that. North Star. That's, that's really cool. Well, I'm, I'm starting at on this Sunday, I just offered a free class because I read this book. It's called The Comfort Crisis. Yeah. And I'm doing it for free because I want to be able to mess it up and then not feel bad. But That's one way to put it. I really think that trying to feel comfortable for adoptees is a terrible trap because we're actually not that comfortable. But but we live, I think so many of us live stuck and that because of our trauma brain and that we actually are pretty uncomfortable in our, in our bodies, it's hard for us to go more uncomfortable, but you gotta be uncomfortable to move forward. Right. And, and so I'm really interested in how do you break through to really move forward in your life when you're, when you're tired and anxious and, so I want to play with that and see what I just think I think we need to, I think we need to be pushed a little harder in ways where we're also being encouraged to be ourselves. Yeah. How can adoptees learn to trust themselves? I think it's about being willing to feel your feelings and not necessarily give them stories. Just be able to sit with your feelings and if you start feeling really anxious, try not to create a story about why you're feeling anxious because then I think we have a lot of feelings that we need to process. Mm -hmm. And when the more we attach stories to them, the, the more feelings happen. Like we start losing control and, and then it's hard. It's hard to trust yourself because then all of a sudden you're in storyland, you're in your head. This place is yeah. crazy. This thing is nuts, right? But the body is not nuts. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's, it's feeling safe enough to be able to live with boredom, fear, 
terror, discomfort, and moving forward from there in a respectful manner. How do you think your book can provide help with trauma and identity loss in adoptees? I think the most helpful thing about my book was how I structured it. I wrote it really fast. I published it really fast. I mean, it has mistakes in it. I was so afraid I wasn't going to publish it. I was so afraid. So I just did it in a big rush. And I think it it really gives a, a good picture of what a brain looks like coming out of the fog. You know, it's like in pieces. It's not, it's trying to figure things out. And I think the book gives people permission to not try to tell the whole story in one big piece. It gives them permission to say things in little pieces, especially, you know, especially if you feel like you have ADHD or ADD, your story can feel too overwhelming. Yeah. But if you put an adoptee at a table and say, will you tell me your story? No one is quiet. <laughs> so when people say they can't write their story, I don't believe that. No, they definitely can. Yeah, they definitely can. They just think, they're just comparing it to books they've read by people who aren't adopted and they think, but I can't write like that. But if they just wrote like they talk, it would come out just fine. Right. Right. No, I agree. So what's your experience when you reached out and tried to find your birth family? Not great. I was, um, if I could do it again, I wouldn't, I was very, I thought they owed me something, especially my birth mom. I thought she owed me her attention. I thought she owed me her, I thought she owed me a lot of things. I thought her kids owed me things, but I don't think that anymore. And my birth father, I got to meet him and that was great to have a connection. It was a great adventure and it's confusing to have more family. Do you stay in touch with any of them? Yeah, I do. My birth father, his wife didn't like the idea of me, but, you know, so he feels safe kind of writing to me on my birthdays. But his brother has been so kind and his family has been so welcoming. And I I love them. And I have a sense of confusion, you know, like there's family here, there's family here there it's sort of easier to not have it all yeah so i've i I i've stopped going to visit them not because i don't love them but it's too it's a lot do you think that'll ever change or will it always be like that for you i don't know that i i hope i do better i hope i'm more open i think i'm fearful still of Writing You Don't Look Adopted was, you know, if you have a mask on and then all of a sudden you rip it off and you show people like who you are, that that was, that was a lot. And I think I'm still, I stopped dating because I would go on a date and then someone would read my book and they're like, um, well, uh, I made a lot of opinions and, you know, I was sort of like, okay, I, I, I did this to myself and well, you wonder how those conversations start sit down and so you like to write yeah yeah or i talk about what a disaster i am as a date you know it's like that's not uh you know i think that 
I used to plan everything. Like, I think I used to always try to escape my body by planning into the future. Like, this is how things are going to be in the future. So when you ask me these questions, I think a year ago I could have answered them. But right now, I'm working so hard at just being right here. Right. That I, I don't know, you know, I don't know if what I'll do. And I kind of like not knowing because then I can just let it happen instead of trying to control it and plan. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So my final big question for you, what piece of advice can you leave for other adoptees and anyone who's going to listen to your story? The thing that I wish I had done is I wish I had been braver with my parents and really said like, this is how I'm feeling and I think I'm in trouble and I think I need help. And if they didn't get it, like just keep going to people and saying, I think, I feel like there's something wrong with me and I don't know what it is. And and um, it was too much to, to carry on my own. And I, I thought it was me. I didn't, I didn't know that how adoption would have affected me. And I think if I had felt that I could have communicated with other people, it would have been amazing. Wow. You ask wonderful questions. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for letting us listen to your story and coming on tonight and being a guest. It's been great getting to know you and your story. Thanks for taking the time and using your resources to do something like this. I, I, from the community, I thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Andy. Stay in touch, and we hope to hear from you soon with any new news or whatever you'd like to share. You know, come on back anytime, and I'd like a signed copy of your book. I will definitely send you one. <laughs> That's awesome. Great. Well, thank you again, and we hope you have a great rest of your evening and take care of yourself. Thank you. You're a special person. Thank you so much. Folks, that was Annie from Massachusetts. <laughs> she came on tonight to share her story and open her heart to us. And we hope you enjoyed this episode, and we will be airing it soon. If you want to come on and share your story, visit us at www.voiceofadoptees.com. As always, thanks for stopping by, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Voice of Adoptees. Please take a moment to like, subscribe, and leave a review. See you next time.